once in a generation a great voice arrives to speak for the hopes and the dreams and the aspirations of all mankind. And this so seriously and deeply concerned radio station takes time now to present uh, just such a voice. <laughs> Me. That's how I speak for all of us, right, George? <laughs> we would like to salute Fred Sherwood, an Englishman. If you think you've had labor problems in America, friend, listen to this. Fred Sherwood, an employee of the British Railroad, was annoyed because his relief man would be three hours late. So Fred's sitting there. he got to call us. His relief man's going to be three hours late. So he set all the signals run red and went home. Took eight and a half hours to get traffic moving again. And his union said he was perfectly within his rights. Screwed up the entire country. Just hit the button and left. <laughs> you see Fred, you know, sitting back at home there listening on the news. It's just the, the entire country's uh, bollocked up for about five and a half hours. You Fred, call me, Charlie, call me. Oh, yes, it's the way it goes, man. You know, you got to push and shove. You got to. Uh, uh, what is it? Uh, what goes to the. Let's see. He who does something gets something else in return. I've forgotten about that. I, I didn't quite uh, understand from the start. I, I, so much of the stuff I don't quite understand. You know, I'll tell you, uh, did you ever work in a... Of course, I'm a little nervous at this time of year. It's June, you know. It's middle of, just about summertime. You know what happens in the Midwest at this time of the year? You don't know because you don't get it here. Tornadoes. This is coming into tornado season. And as an old uh, ex-Midwesterner, I... I uh, you know, I mean, it's like, like uh, you know, any, any kind of a fire horse or anything like that, you know, that they always claim that they could have great instincts about things that affected them deeply. Well, I, I, uh, I've been affected by tornadoes in my time. I, I don't know, how, how could you, you know, everybody assumes that all the traumatic experiences in a guy's life are sexual. Oh, yeah, you, you read stuff like... Uh, uh, Portnoy's complaint. He didn't have any other, uh, you know, no traumas. Like buying a used car when you're 16, you spend, uh, you know, you spend two and a half years saving up to buy a used car and you walk past this used car lot every day of your life and you fall fantastically in love with this car and you buy it and it's, you know, the greatest thing in your life since bottled beer and you buy this car and five minutes after you got it, you discover it's got a silly putty transmission. Also, with differential, that's a trauma. That's far more traumatic than most sexual things that ever happened to guys. I'll guarantee you that, man. You don't look at life any more the same. Yes. And speaking of, of, uh, of traumas, where was that thing here? Just hold on a minute. Do you know that uh, yeah, everybody in the world is getting to be worried about stuff that you can't put your finger on? It's that, that basic fears. Now, how am I going to lie down on a couch someday? And his doctor says to me, well, Mr. Shepard, will you please tell us what was the, what, what is this? Why are you always walking sideways? There must be a reason. Why you always walk around and you wear that pot on your head? Why is this? There has to be something. Now you just, after all, this is $75 an hour, you can talk to me. That's what I'm here for. And finally I said, all right, damn it, I'll tell you. I'll tell you the day that I got hit by the tornado. Changed my view of everything ever since that time. 
Well, a tornado, we have nothing in Freud about getting hit by tornadoes. Now, what was you in love with your teacher? Was you in love with uh, a frog or something like that? Maybe we can handle, but we cannot handle any of this talk about tornadoes. But this is a tornado. You see, most people on, on uh, Fordham Road never heard of a tornado, except maybe it's the name of a hockey team or something. Or maybe they think of tornado as some kind of a Mexican thing. You know, it's got the chili powder in it, you know. Yeah, how about some of them tornadoes and the pizzas there? You know, tornado is something you eat with the Mexican beer. <laughs> and I have had my time with a tornado. I just, uh, you know, I'm not trying to trying to get the, elicit your sympathy, although I am actually trying to do that. That's the truth. Well, have you ever wondered why, why Shepard, among all the people you know, isn't the... Why he convulsively plays the Jews harp. There's a reason for this. Obviously, the Jews harp's an ugly sounding instrument. It's an instrument of, of transcendent uh, tonelessness. It's, it's not, the, not, not a beautiful instrument like a uh, accordion. God, what a rotten instrument. I, I've always felt that you can't trust anybody that plays an accordion. I've gone to so many bad scenes where there's a guy standing in the corner playing an accordion and uh, you're eating the stuffed cabbage and you know it's bad news from the start. And uh, there's an old slogan, you know, I don't know who says it, but there's an old slogan that says a guy that plays a Jews harp can't be all rotten. There's something to that. Why does he play this convulsive Jews harp? Why does he occasionally in the middle of uh, what apparently is a, a solid, sober and a probing investigation of man's time on earth. Why does he suddenly play his kazoo? Sorry, you don't know. Well, I do. The deep, basic fears. Deep, basic fears. You don't think that, that uh, W.C. Fields was working out of the fact that he was working in vaudeville when he said, Ryan, little chickadee, time has slowed you on a draw. Why did he say that? Deep basic fear he was going to get plugged one day by somebody he gave the flim-flam to. That's right. False beards, mustaches. As a matter of fact, yeah, I know a store down in the village that sells nothing but false beards. They do. They sell giant mustaches, you know. They, uh, sideburns you can pull off. Yeah. Why? Well, you don't want to be you. You know what you are, you... You know, just to pluck your jaybird naked, and what are you, skinny little thing walking around under the sun? you got to hide yourself with fancy Edwardian clothes, paste on sideburns, mutton chop whiskers, the whole bit. I saw a guy the other day sitting out in front of O'Henry's at the Sidewalk Cafe. You've seen it down there, haven't you? Guy had a great big jug of sangria. Well, I guess he thought sangria was pink jello juice or something. He'd drunk two jugs of this stuff. And now he's beginning to, you know, he had five or six eyes walking around his head, you know, all at once. You never see something like that. This guy's sitting there with his feet all splayed out. The only thing that would happen, though, unfortunately, drinking the sangria, and of course there was a high wind out there, too, at the same time, blowing all the dust all over him. One of his sideburns came off. He didn't know it. He's just sitting there. was laying on the table next to him. It looked like a dead beaver. So what the hell are you going to do? You know, the guy sitting there drinking a sangria. And I guess nobody else sitting around noticed it either because, you know, they were having air problems too. So six and one half doesn't the other. I'm not going to burden you with this. No, I'm not going to 
cripple you with this problem. I'm not going to sit around and tell you about my time with a tornado. You don't want to hear it anyway. I don't want to tell you either. Traumatic experience. I mean, what is a trauma anyway? I don't know. Trauma. Trauma is a thing made out of stuffed rice with derma on the outside of it. And, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you, you, you do the best you can. God sakes. I'll tell you, I'll tell you about it. Oh, all right. All right. You want to know what a, what a tornado is like? You really want to know? I'll tell you what it's like. First of all, you got to realize a tornado is uncomprehending of your fears. It does not worry about your plans for your future. I've never yet seen a tornado that was humane in its approach to things. And I have seen several tornadoes. I'll bet you've never seen one, have you? Have you, Larry? Jerry? That's why you're all sitting there with that funny look on your face of what the hell Shepard talking about tonight, like as if it doesn't mean anything. Do any of you... <laughs> That's right, you see, unless you've been hit by a, by a man-eating shark, sharks are just kind of cute things you see down there, you know, at the, at the aquarium. That's right. You've got to have personal experience with the vast forces of nature before you realize what the hell the vast forces of nature are about. That's a fact. And you don't, you don't learn about it by reading it in books. How many of you remember the opening uh, paragraphs of The Wizard of Oz? Do you? Do you? You do not, Larry. You remember the opening paragraphs of Portnoy's Complaint, I'm sure. <laughs> Son of a gun. How are you going to beat it? But <laughs> you can't beat it, I'll tell you. The opening paragraphs of The Wizard of Oz is about this chick, you know, played in the movies by Judy Garland. Her name was, uh, what was her name? Come on, we'll award you. Myrtle? Yeah, we'll, we'll uh, for the purpose of argument, Myrtle. Myrtle is sitting in his house seeing her aunt. I knew you. See, that's a fantastic knowledge of literature. Did you know that? Just incredible. Anyway, Myrtle is sitting in this house, and she's with this dog. What was the name of the dog? Give you a clue. It was not Bowser. No, was it Snoopy? What was the name of her dog? Okay, so she's sitting in the house, and her aunt and her uncle are out. They live in Kansas. Right. They live in Kansas, and her aunt and her uncle are out for the day for some reason or other. What was the name of the aunt? Why do I remember all this junk? Either do I. I don't know either. Glad you said that. You said the only thing you could say. I don't know. You know, I, I, I can't remember the War of the Roses. I can't remember whether Shakespeare wrote Hamlet or Virginia Woolf. But I sure as hell can remember the name of, of uh, that chick's aunt that lived in that house in Kansas. Well, anyway, what happened was this. She's sitting in a the house there. And uh, all of a sudden, the tornado hit. You remember that? And man, that, I mean, it was the end of the ball game. It just picked that house up, and the next thing you know, the house was in Oz. And what happened? The house landed on the Wicked Witch of the West. Correct? Squashed her. Good enough for her. Yeah, remember that? Remember, there was a great uh, illustration with her foot sticking out of the bottom of the house. She had these. High, uh, high heel shoes, you know, these kind of, the kind of shoes, you know, that are made out of vinyl that the chicks are wearing, you know, the high heels. Yeah. yeah Wicked Witch of the West. That reminds me, this is WOR New York. No connection. <laughs> Please, a little of that cheap guitar music, Larry Band. There you go. 
Shepard is as smooth as oiled silk tonight. You notice that? Sneaking along in the undergrowth here like some kind of maniacal snake. <laughs> oh, yes, listen, uh, if you're a youth type, I'd like to recommend highly that you invest $210 for a round-trip economy airfare to Portugal. Split, man. You'd be surprised that Portugal is nothing at all like Staten Island. It, is, it isn't even like Passaic. No, and for two hundred and ten, <laughs> it really isn't. For two hundred and ten dollars, you can experience Portugal, man. And the uh, hell, you'll spend two hundred and ten dollars on uh, hamburgers this summer alone. So uh, put them into some worthwhile project. Go where all the European kids go for their vacation. Two hundred and ten bucks round trip, and you can use the, the ticket is good for a year. So you you know you can split for a good long time. And if you're under twenty six and over twelve, you're eligible. $210 round trip, youth fare to Portugal. Food is great, people move real good. Call your travel agent. I've never had a travel agent in my life. <laughs> I've had other other types of agents, so, and I've had bad news all the way. Call TAP 421-8500 for complete information about that fantastic TAP $210 youth fare to Portugal. Go where the European kids go. Yes, indeed. My little chicken. Thank you, Larry. Thank you. We have a little thing here we're going to lay on you. It has to do with Chinese cooking. Speaking of the Wicked Witch of the West, the sweet and sour dishes of uh, Honan in the center of China are featured at the Great Shanghai, as well as the fiery dishes from Sichuan in the west, where the Wicked Witch lives, the succulent flavors from Peking in the northeast, and the delicious Cantonese specialties from the south. A lot of ting, ting, ting. And you know, if cooks don't get along together, so they have to have a very big restaurant, fantastically big kitchen to hold all these, these very uh, temperamental chefs. And each one comes equipped with a cleaver, big long knife. So uh, if you'd like to try all this various food, um, and they really do have all kinds of Chinese food. You know. ah, there, I've got it ripped off. At the Great Shanghai, you can order all these dishes, and I would like to suggest you try their Sunday brunch. It's a superb buffet. What it says here, it says pronounced buffet. Serve from 11 until 4. All you can eat for only 275. Just stuff it in there from 11 o'clock in the morning to 4 in the afternoon, and they'll wheel you out. Children under 4 feet tall, only a dollar and a half. Great Shanghai. It's at Broadway at 103rd Street. There's an IRT station right there. It comes right up next to the chopstick cleaner. That's the Great Shanghai Broadway at 103rd. It does. <laughs> Over the past 32 years, Newsday, the Long Island newspaper, has become one of the great success stories in publishing history. Recently, we started a Sunday edition. And what Newsday has done so well six days a week, we're now doing just as well on Sunday. For example, our coverage of sports. I'm Ed Comerford, sports columnist of Newsday. When we started our Sunday edition, we felt there was an opportunity to do something new and exciting in sports. For example, we doubled the size of our Sunday sports section. This lets us run big action pictures and layouts. It enables us to run more sports news, especially about school sports. And since Newsday isn't trucked out from the city, we can give you late Saturday night results. Saturday is a big day in sports. That's why sports is big in Sunday Newsday. Newsday, Long Island's own Sunday newspaper. No service charge for home delivery.
Well, let's see. We have a note here from Shoetown. Hey, listen, Shoetown has a fantastic set of Pete Maravich kids. <laughs> and uh, it says they even look fast with triple striped sides. They're made by kids, so you can be sure that uh, they give long wear and all the great support. And since they're famous Pete Maravich kids, uh, you'll be, you know, just like a pro putting them on. You'd be surprised what it'll do for your hook shot. It gives you a tremendous uh, fadeaway, too. So these are the Pete Maravich Keds, and you have your choice of green, blue, or white. So I would like to suggest that you uh, find out about these Pete Maravich Keds. Pistol Pete, they're $5.99 a pair. This is a special price at Shoetown. $5.99 a pair. Pick up a pair. There are over 30 Shoetown stores in the suburban New York area. So check the white pages of your area. That's uh, Shoetown. For the one nearest you, pick up on a set of those uh, fantastic Pete Maravich, Pistol Pete Maravich kids at Shoetown. Great for your fadeaway shot. Fantastic. This is Barry Farber with a skull and crossbones on this announcement. If you read to get drowsy, the Book Find Club cannot help you. If you read to stay alert and make those around you proud to be around you because they get more stimulated too, then get acquainted instantaneously right this minute with the Book Find Club. I'm going to issue a telephone number in just a minute. I'll do it three times. The Book Find Club is waiting for you at the other end of that telephone line. This is a different kind of club. You've got all the regular expected club benefits, extra savings on regular hardcover publishers' editions and bonus books and convenience, but it's the books themselves that make the Book Find Club a volcano in a forest of Ronson lighters. Hard-hitting books on politics, race, religion, sexual liberation. As an incentive to join now, Book Find will send you two extraordinary books for just one dollar plus postage and handling. These books, they're typical of the books we offer, retail for about sixteen dollars. Here's what you get for your one dollar. An American Death by Gerald Frank, the true story of the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. We may not have all the answers about the assassination of President Kennedy, but you will have the answers about the assassination of Martin Luther King in this book. For contrast, Fields for President by W.C. Fields. This great comic springs the length of his chain and sinks his fangs into politics, babies, business, marriage. Call Oxford 71535 for a trial membership. Get an American Death and Fields for President, both for $1 plus postage and handling. Once a member, you need to buy just two more books in a year, always at discounts of up to 30% off publishers' prices plus postage and handling. Call Oxford 71535. Operators on duty right now. Oxford 71535. Or send your name and address, no money, to Book Fine, Box 1, WOR, New York 10018. That's Book Fine, Box 1, WOR, New York 10018. For immediate action, call. Call now, Oxford 71535. All right, I'll tell you about the. I might as well lay it on you now. I don't want to, you know, kids listen to this. I don't want to scare them. But I'll tell you about how it is to be in a tornado. And it happens, see, a traumatic experience, fellow victims, has to happen at a time when you are particularly vulnerable. So one day, I had, you know, I had buttons all over me. I had a hat, in fact, that had nothing but buttons on it. I was 16. It was in the year of my 16th summer. And uh, just about two weeks before that, I had just gotten out of school, you know, for the vacation. You want to hear about how you could suddenly change your whole view of, the, of life? All right. 
I had just gotten out of school, like in, you know, June, a couple of days, uh, maybe June 3rd or 4th, school was out. And I rushed around, see, try to get a job for the summer. Because uh, I'd gotten this work permit, see. And I had an idea that if I got this great job in the summertime, see, I could buy all this groovy stuff I wanted, like I was building a transmitter as a ham, you know, and, and I was going to buy a car. That's really what my basic idea was, to get this car. And uh, where was the car? Well, it was on a used car lot. And uh, it, uh, you know, one of these special used car lots, you know, have you ever noticed used car lots have all these light bulbs all over the cars? Have you seen those light bulbs? Well, now, those are not just ordinary light bulbs that you have in your house, you know, just rotten old light bulbs. Do you know that used car dealers, there's a special light bulb for used car dealers, and it makes, it glows, it makes the paint glow. It's a special kind of, uh, has special rays in it. So you can take a car that looks like, uh, you know, uh, leftover mashed potatoes in ordinary light. You stick it under these, these special bulbs, the used car lot, and man, it comes on like the Taj Mahal. I mean, the paint glows and everything. It's the special light bulb, see? So every day I'm walking past friendly Fred, the hungry Armenians used car lot, and uh, he had these cars there, see, with all the light bulbs. And it was this one car, and it was a Ford V8. And the uh, light bulbs hanging on, you know? Jeez, fantastic. I mean, I got the, oh, man, you talk about getting the hots for something. I really had them for that car. I could taste it. And I'd look in the window, you know, and, and I'm, I figured if I got a job, I could, I could, you know, I could really make it big with this car. No telling how far I could go. Because uh, cars are very important. This is a basic thing with people, see. Man is a ambulatory creature. That means he walks around a lot. There's no other creature that, that, that uh, migrates like man. I mean, you haven't heard recently of a herd of elephants moving out to Ohio, have you? Not recently, and you won't. They just, you know, they just walk around in the same place. To, uh, hardly any elephant ever turns to another elephant and says, you know, I'm getting tired of this scene. Why don't we go to Cleveland? You know, it just doesn't happen. Man has a basic urge to go somewhere else. And, of course, part of that basic urge is the, is the belief that if I did get someplace else, it would be better. <laughs> yeah. You know, that, uh, it's part of the basic problem. And then you get there for a while, you discover your knee still hurts, and uh, you still don't make out, and, uh, you know, then you say, well, now what I have to do is go to Alaska. Right now, there's a lot of people got the urge to go to Australia. And there's a lot of guys in Australia who've got the urge to go to California. A lot of guys in California got the urge to finally come back out and make it big in the East. So there are guys who figure if they can only get to Zagreb, it would work out. If you can only get this little island off the coast of Spain, you can finally write that novel, right? Forget it. You either are going to do it or you ain't. And you're going to do it just as much at Rabbit Hash, Kentucky, as you are in Madeira, off the coast of whatever it is it's off the coast of. And so I got this plan, see, I'm going to get this car, and I could draw it, oh, I could taste it. So I would discuss it with Flick and Schwartz and Broner about the car I was going to get. And sure enough, school's out, June 3rd. I go around like mad. I get my work permit. You remember the work permits? Go and I get my work permit. And I go around trying to make the scene, you know, get a job. 
And uh, they had this uh, bulletin board in the school, all the various jobs that were available to see if you wanted to apply. Well, I applied through this box, post office box number, just this apply at box 6SJ7GT. Send your qualifications. Well, I had fantastic qualifications. You know, after all, I was a first string guard on the football team. Plenty of qualifications. They can use a lot of guards in a lot of places, you know. I could, uh, I, uh, I was a quick study. I was the only guy on our football team that learned our plays in less than six months. All three of our plays. <laughs> so, you know, I was a quick study. So I figured I had the world, you know, right there. And I, and I, I went down, I filled out the form, and I, I, uh, I waited and filled out a lot of other forms, went over to the gas station, asked them if they needed anybody to work there, nobody. By God, not more than two weeks after I filled out the form, I get this letter in the mail saying that I should show up at the, at the employment office, the steel mill. That was a steel mill. I mean, I hit the double jackpot. Because everyone knows, you know, it's big money down at the steel mill, so I go down to the steel mill. I'm with about 28,000 guys. Have you ever sat in the middle of about 1,000 guys waiting to be interviewed in the employment office? It's a very interesting experience, you know. And uh, I'm sitting there with all these other guys, and gee, some of them were nine feet tall. Other guys, you know, had muscles bulging up behind their ears. Other guys had these gray suits with pencils sticking out of the pockets. You know, everybody looked very official. See, all I had was, was my letter. You know, I, had, I, I figured if I wore my sweater with a big H on the front seat, they would be impressed. <laughs> yeah, I figured, you know, I got my letter. See, so, so I, I, I sit there with my H, and uh, sure enough, they call me in. Come in, Mr. Mr. Bullard wants to talk to you. So I walk in. Here's Bullard sitting back there. And he's got these uh, chromium teeth. You know, he's looking at me. He says, this your, um, Brack, is this your, uh, Brack, is this your uh, application here, your name, <clears throat> Brack? Is this your name? I said, yes, indeed. He gives me a good long look. And he says, um, what position do you play? You play football? I said, yes. You know, I had these little footballs sewn all over my sweater. You know, when you play football, they give you these little cloth footballs you put on there, see, to show that you played football and not the badminton. Some other big uh, contact sport, see. So uh, I had these little footballs all over there, see, with numbers and stripes and all kinds of stuff. And he says, what do you play? I said, well, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm uh, offensive guard. Actually, I play linebacker quite a bit. I remember you. I said, you remember me? He said, yeah, didn't you make that fumble against Whiting one night? He did remember me. I did make the fumble against Whiting one night. I'll tell you how it happened. Are you curious what happened about the fumble? All right. <laughs> it was one of my great dramatic experiences. Night game, 28,000 people out there. And, uh, and uh, I'm playing linebacker. You got it right. And uh, all of a sudden, without any warning... Those crumbs from Whiting pulled a quick kick on us. You know, they were lined up from a, from a straight offensive uh, uh, lineup, and all of a sudden the guy drops back and he pulls a quick kick, and it went whistling over my head. I turn around and run after the ball, you know, and three or four other guys run after it. Yeah, they caught us completely flat-footed. Shepard picks the ball up. His <laughs> I don't even want to talk about it at this time. Shepard picks the ball up, and I turn around, and I see that my it all worked like a picture. My interference has already formed. Shepard takes two steps, and he ain't got the ball. I don't know how it got out of my hand. Nobody touched me. It just 
gone. It's magic. This is what's meant by a traumatic experience. It's not explained by ordinary logic. The ball got out of my hand. I don't know how it got out of my hand. Uh, next thing I know, some guy from the other team, they had these blue and white uniforms, picked it up, and he was gone. I remember the huddle after that. Guy looked up at me, our quarterback. He says, he just waved his head a little bit back and forth like that. And I said, well, what are you going to do? And he says, you did it all right. And so this guy reminded me of it, see? He's sitting there. Have you ever had, have you ever had, you know, an experience where a guy sitting across the desk from you reminds you of something you didn't want to be reminded of? So he says, I, rem I remember you. You made that fumble, didn't you? I said, I did indeed. He said, what was, what's the matter with you anyway? I said, I don't know. What, what do you mean? I, I didn't come here to talk about football. I want a job here. We can't have guys walking around to fumble like that in the, in the crucial moments working for us. I said, you, you, what are you doing, forming a football team here? You know, I said, I got my letter. I, oh, I did some things right. He said, that's true. So he started, he started stamping the thing. So, you know, be, be careful of guys that got rubber stamps on their desk. Them, them guys can be mean, you know. And he starts... And he starts writing little things, stamps more. I like to make that stamping sound. It's all good, doesn't it? <laughs> so he starts stamping my application. He says, here, take this out of personnel, son. And he gives me the paper, and he turns away, and it just uh, I could see immediately the interview is over. And he hits a little button that goes ding-dong, and they bring in the, other, the next victim, see? So I go out, and it looks like I'm hired. You know, it says personnel. It says hired. So I walk down the corridor there and his big science is personnel so I walked up to the personnel man I give him this thing and he says hey, good. Hey, good. See that. Uh, he starts writing stuff down he looks up and he says didn't you make a fumble against the whining against the oilers here last month yeah. I said yes I did I certainly did I said, and uh, I'll tell you another thing I did one time I said you know I played on the ball team did I tell you about the one that I <laughs> did I tell you about the one that hit me in the teeth one night yeah, we was playing against uh, Laporte. I believe it was Laporte Slices. I was playing third base. This guy hit a slow roller down the third baseline. I come charging in at it, took a bad hop, hit me right in the mouth. Three runs scored. And they, they, they gave me an error on the throw, too, because I picked up the ball and threw it into the stands. Oh, yeah, there was another one, too, I did. I went, <laughs> I'll tell you about this one. Now, guy had a pop-up, you see, back at, back at third base, you know, down the third baseline. Well, I run back, and I waved the left fielder who had it in his left pocket. I don't know what made me do it. Left fielder coming in. He's got it in his hip pocket, and I come charging back. Look out, I got it, Joe. I reaches up. I didn't lay a glove on it. Two runs scored. Uh, let's see. There was another time. Yeah, base is loaded. I come up to bat, right? Base is loaded. I come up to bat. Okay. What do you think I've done? He says, no, what did you do? Hitting the only triple play that we hit into all year. I hit into a triple play. He says, you hit into a triple play. Well, I never hear much about guys hitting into a triple play. I hear about guys making a triple play, but you hit into one. I said, I did. He says, okay. He stamps it on. <laughs> so I move on further down. Well, to make a long story even longer, I got the job. And uh, the job consisted of carrying mail around the plant. Now, uh, I like that job. I'm going to tell you, I like that job because, first of all, it was a job that uh, it put a man on his metal, you know. It did. I mean, you, you had to stick in there. You had to hang in. They had this leather bag, big leather bag. You've seen these mail bags that the mailmen have? Well, I had a big leather bag they give me. Beautiful bag, you know. 
and it would be filled with all this plant mail. It had all these brown envelopes with uh, things like it says, a uh, hot plate smelting scale works on you know, exciting places like that. Cold strip shipping, things, little things like tin mill Kruger Labs. You never heard of any of these things. Well, I did. Uh, how about this one? Flat plate double scales. How about that one? I knew where that office was. I knew where all them offices were. It's things like Bessemer Converter Oiler. That's different from the Bessemer Converter Number 2AC. There's another office. Another set of guys. Different mail. They got a lot of porny literature in that office. But uh, nevertheless, I would carry the mail, see? And uh, I would carry it from 8 o'clock in the morning to... Maybe five, five o'clock at night. And I'd run like hell all the time. See, just run with that mail and I'm sorting it as I'm running. See, I'm throwing it into the box and I run out into the, into the gravel between the buildings and I'm running down. This was all out in the open. See, this was not running around in, in big offices like uh, carrying the mail over at the Lever building or, or Seagram's building. This was in the big steel mill. Now, a steel mill covers about five miles. Tremendous thing. Sticks out in the lake there. See, well, one day, just like today, nice day, right? And I've been working now for about two or three weeks. And I feel that I got the world, you know, right there where I want it. Now, I know the route. I'm, I'm delivering the mail. I got this money coming in. And I'm going to own this Ford one day very shortly. And then Schwartz and Flick are going to be sorry for what they said to me. You know, I got this car. I'm going to do the whole thing, see? And I'm running out. You know, get the, you know this feeling? You ever get this feeling of, of exhilaration in your head sometimes? You know that feeling there, like everything's working groovy, and I, oh, you know, <laughs> it's an exciting feeling. See, your head starts to blow, man, with all this great feeling. See, and I, and I'm running down between two big buildings, and it's at that, it's that moment. This is when you're most vulnerable. It's at that moment when you think that everything is working great, that the great, giant, enormous, fantastic. Iron fist is clenched in the sky, and it's getting ready to squash you like the smallest cockroach that ever walked around under the sink. Caught you, <laughs> right? Well, that's the that's the time of, of 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 that's the time of extreme danger. Anyone will tell you if you ever live in a jungle when you think everything's working great, that's the time you are being stalked by a saber-toothed tiger. It's only when you're worried that you have a comparative chance of surviving. So stay in there and stick with that worrying, friend. That's the best thing that could happen to you. It'll keep you alive. That any guy who's worried never dies. Do you know that? A worried man does not have time to die. He <laughs> If you notice that, that almost invariably guys, as soon as they retire, kick off? Well, that's because Bullard has stopped biting them in the vital regions, which has kept them alive. Oh, yeah. And so I am walking along between these two buildings. The sun is shining. It was kind of a kind of a muggy, hot day, spring. The summer is coming on in a week or two. And uh, it's June. And the juices are flowing. I'm going to tell you the juices are flowing like fantastic. See, because the last stop on my mail route, which was just coming up, the last stop, see, I, I had about 15 different stops I would make on this run, was the 10 mil sorting. Now, I'll have to explain something to you about the 10 mil. That sounds dull, doesn't it? 10 mil sorting, right? 
Oh, no. The Tin Mill of Sorting was a big building that had about a thousand unbelievably sexy-looking chicks working in it. And they worked under these blue lights. They had blue lights in there inspecting tin, see? And I don't know what this blue lights did to them, but I'll tell you, just a fantastic mammary effect. I mean, it just, just, uh, it was, it was like, it was like you were looking into some gigantic orgy right out of, uh, Hieronymus Bosch with all those green lights and fluorescent lights and a thousand chicks are in there flapping this tin around and the tin was flashing and I could hardly wait every day to get to the tin mill, see? Just to walk around and look at all those incredible chicks, you know? And figure one day I would, I would, I would cut one out of the herd. Maybe cut four or five of them out of the herd, see, when I get my car, you know, drinking a beer and going down at bowling and all that stuff, you know, and taking this chick named Josephine out or something like that, you know. Well, I've, I'm thinking about this. And I'm filled with the ecstasy of existence. You know what is it? The ecstasy of life. Joie de vivre. You know what is it? Of course, you. it's like a human walking cake of yeast. Pulsating. The glands all open. My pores were all open. I could feel everything happening around me. My feelers were moving out, ready to grasp and to devour life like an enormous blueberry pie. In fact, I was devouring it. I was picking my teeth. I'm walking along with my sack of mail. Now, directly to my right is a freight car. I'm walking between two big tin buildings, these buildings made out of corrugated iron. You've seen this kind of, this is a mill. And the one off to the right is boom, 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 boom. It's a mill. It's a 14, in fact, a 14-inch merchant mill. Tremendous mill. It's, it's about a mile long. And off to my left was the rail mill, the number four rail mill. Boom, 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 boom. Machinery's going. They're making rails. You know, you know what is it, rails? You know, you've seen rails. When I'm walking between these two buildings, which were not more than separate, oh, maybe separated by about 40 feet of nothing but gravel, railroad tracks, and these tremendous freight cars. And I'm walking along the freight cars. Now, directly ahead of me, I can see the scene now. Directly ahead of me is is an opening at the end of these buildings where the shipping docks were. And there were two tremendous high-tension tires. You know, these great big high-tension towers, enormous ones, like 100 feet high. Great big steel structures with great wires hanging off of them. And there were tanks all around there, some trucks parked. And I'm walking towards this. Boom, 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 boom. It's booming to my left. Boom, boom, boom. Off to the right, see? And I'm thinking of those gals. I'm thinking of all these girls under the blue light that I'm going to see any minute now. And I could, you know, I, the, the, the excitement, nothing like sexual excitement that gets you going in your job. See, and I'm walking along there. I'm thinking of nothing. The world is my thing. And I, I'm, I'm pulsing. The ground is thundering because of these machinery. And all of a sudden, I am aware of another sound. I look around. It's the sound. It sounded like a train coming nearer. I look around. There's nothing on the tracks. There's nobody around me, just me, these big machinery. That's it, me. These two buildings, the freight cars. I look back at me, there's no train, but I can hear it. It's going, the sound of a freight train coming. You know how a freight train sounds when it's coming? You've heard freight trains? This roar, see? It's getting closer and closer, and I'm looking around. See, by this time, I'm no longer thinking of the chicks in the, in the, in the tin mill. See, I'm wondering, where the hell is the train coming from? When suddenly the train comes roaring in over the top of this building, which was about 70 feet high to my right. And it's a tornado. One of these gigantic funnel-shaped clouds. I, I'm looking right at the side of it. Have you ever seen one of those things close up? You can't believe it. The building, 
the, the, the roof is stripping off like pieces of paper, enormous chunks of the roof are just flying, they're flying. I see this great big tower, this high-tension tower slowly starts to topple right in front of my eyes. The wires are bursting, boom, great shocks of electricity. I see an, a, a, well, there was a trans transformer about the size of your average living room, an enormous, it just falls straight down. Pow! Lands right on the top of a brand new Ford. Nothing but wheels. That's all you can see, wheels sticking out of the bottom of the transformer. And this thing screamed. I hold on to the side of the freight car, and all my mail just goes, whoosh, gone. It was all over in probably 20 seconds. And I'm hanging to the side of the freight car. I see the flames coming out from where the Ford is now on fire. Chunks of the building has disappeared into the sky. That great big funnel-shaped cloud moved on towards God knows where it went. Nothing but devastation for miles around. I rush into one of the offices. And here are these guys sitting in the offices. They're drinking coffee. I say, the tornado! The tornado! It almost got me! And these three guys look up and say, what are you talking about? They didn't even know that a tornado had passed within 50 yards of them, devastating the world. I picked up the phone. I called my office, which was about 200 yards from where this actually happened. I says, I lost all my mail. The tornado hit. I says, what are you talking about, you nut? What do you mean? Did you lose your... What? what? I said, my mail squirm. It almost got me. Nobody believed there was a tornado. I was the only guy that saw it. And out there, the Ford burned. The transformer hissed. The building lay at a crooked angle. And I could hear the sound of a retreating cosmic freight train going off into the distance. I've never been the same since. Never been the same. Why do you think at moments of stress I suddenly whip up my Jews harp and start playing some totally meaningless music? Why? Guy's got to keep the evil spirits away some way. That sounds to me as good as any way. It's never been the same. Some nights I lay in a sack and I can hear the sound of that approaching freight train. I hang on to the edge of the building. Imagine a... An enormous, uncontrolled tornado hitting the Pan Am building. Wipe out the whole top 45 floors. Carry the whole top of the building over to Trenton. They wouldn't even know it. Yes. Who knows what evil lurks in the heart of God knows what. I've never been the same. Now you know. So W.O.R. New York. <laughs> the great tornado in the sky. Stay tuned for Lester Smith and the News.